And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 271. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin. That's me. And a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. And this week, we are back from C2E2. Yeah, it's going to be two weeks ago when you hear this, but I spent all day Saturday at the show. Weird experience because it was the first time I've ever been to a comic show by myself. Normally, I would have at least one other person with me. Uh, usually, it's Pete. But uh, unfortunately, nobody was available this year for <laughs> for me to go to the show with. So I just ended up going on my own. Now, the good thing about going on your own is that you get to skip the stuff you want to skip. You get to avoid the stuff you want to avoid. You get to see the stuff you want to see, spend more time in the places at the convention that you want to see. The, the bad thing about going to a big con like C2E2 on a Saturday, though, is that they're quite often the Saturday show is generally more geared towards the guests and getting autographs and getting photo ops and, and that kind of thing. And the, uh, the quieter days have more interesting panels and programming. And I wasn't able to get into the see the, the big attraction this year, which was a, a joint panel with Stanley and Frank Miller. But I, you know, there was really not a lot else a lot there that I wanted to see. So it really was me in the dealer's room and just doing dealer's room type stuff. I suppose that if I'd gone there and stayed in the hotel and I had a little more time and you know, I wasn't worried about getting you know home to the train and not taking three hours to get home, that kind of thing, then, then maybe I would have in, indulged in a few other little things. I, I guess the convention scene is, is one of those things that if I am in the mood for a con and I want to go to a con, I, I love it. Yeah, and if I'm not, then I'm really very meh. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, I, as you know, I do collect original comic art, uh, and I always am looking for a good deal on on original comic art. Oh, the comic dealers this year, the the, the original art dealers were amazing. Um, they actually had a dealer there this year who had a lot of Journey into Mystery Thor pages for sale. And unfortunately, they were all above my price range by, you know, at least a decimal point. The, they were some amazing pages that they had. They had a Rich Buckler Fantastic Four page that, that I really seriously considered going deeply into debt for. But you have to keep it a little more modest, though. They, they had some early Kirby Journey into Mystery pages. They had uh, a page from the first uh, Loki issue. Um, so, you know, we're talking some quality stuff here. Now, another thing I like to do at conventions, of course, is talk to creators. Now, there were a couple of, of major Thor creators at the con this year, and I didn't really get a chance to talk to, to Jason Aaron. Um, I did actually meet Jason Aaron and had him sign the two pages that I bought, which I'll tell you about in a sec. But I actually spent a good amount of time speaking with um, the artist of Thor's 
who of course is Chris Sprouse. And we did chat for about a half an hour. So, and I would just wish that I'd had a recording going because it was a fun conversation. Anyhow, I'm not, I'm not promising anything, but I do have kind of a bug in some ears that, that, you know, have a podcast and, and, and have asked if they're willing to do it. The problem with professionals that, especially a big name like Jason Aaron, it is really hard for them to, to make time. And I just hope he doesn't listen to some of my coverage. <laughs> some of my complaints about uh, Alfheim and Dario Agar. But uh, no, I mean, obviously I'm coming from a, coming to it from a place of, of you know, a creator who, whose work I enjoy. And, uh, and the, the nitpicking and the, and the criticism is just because I, I want the work to be better. You know, you know how that goes. Anyway, um, so yeah, so all in all, it was a good con. Bought a couple of uh, pages from Chris Sprouse. They were Thor's pages. And uh, one was from issue number one. The other was from issue number four. Uh, and got a, a nice deal on those two pages. And uh, maybe if I remember, I'll post them on the Facebook page so that you can actually see them. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I guess it was a fun show, and uh, hopefully uh, next year will be a fun show as well. I'm undecided about Wizard World again this year. I haven't been for a lot of years, and I'm doubting I'm going to go this year either. All right, so uh, we do have an issue of Hercules Unbound to cover, so let's go ahead and move along to our review. Hercules, hero of song and story, Hercules, winner of ancient glory, fighting for the right, fighting with his might, with the strength of ten ordinary men, Hercules, people are safe when near him, Hercules, only the evil fear him, softness in his eyes, iron in his thighs, virtue in his heart, fire in every part of the mighty. And thank you, Johnny Mercer. And we are looking at Hercules Unbound, issue number three. March 1976 is the cover date. Retail price, 25 whopping cents. Hercules, man-god versus immortal man. And the cover is by... Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, inked by Wally Wood, and shows Hercules punching a wall. It's uh, like uh, he's trying to punch Cerebus, is the big, bald uh, African dude who has been the villain for the last couple of issues. And he's hitting the wall behind him, and the wall is collapsing forward, looking like it's going to smash both of them. It's a very dynamic cover, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense in what Hercules is doing. Um, so we open up to the splash page, and uh, we have the credits. Jerry Conway was the writer. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez was the artist. Wally Wood was also the artist. Joe Orlando is the editor. Uh, so I'm guessing from that that uh, Wally Wood did the lettering and the coloring as well as inks, uh, because it, yeah, the the, Lo the Garcia Lopez style only comes through kind of intermittently uh, in the issue. So we open up where we left off last time. There's a big hole in the ground. Jennifer has been dragged down through this giant hole in the ground. And Hercules and the blind boy with the very short shorts and the dog are standing at the top. And there's a sort of green mist rising up through the hole. And we see that the dog, even though he looks really angry and wolf-like in this panel, is whining because he's afraid. 
And Hercules is saying, if we're to find Jennifer anywhere, Kevin, it's there. Within the pit below. And that's the name of the story, Within the Pit Below. It's okay with me, Herc, but I'm not too sure about Basil. He sounds awfully scared. His fear will pass, lad. If it does not, then by Zeus, we must leave the dog behind. Dun, dun, dun. And apparently Kevin laughs at that. Uh, okay. So uh, Kevin starts climbing down into the hole where this, this green mist is coming from, which doesn't seem like a real good idea to me, but hey, what do I know? Um, it says, the boy called Kevin laughs, but it's a nervous laugh, lacking conviction. Gingerly, almost hesitatingly, he descends. You'd think he would be hesitating. Followed first by his faithful, though frightened, dog. And then by Hercules, which is kind of not what the art shows. <laughs> the art shows Hercules kind of going first and then the dog, but okay. He is blind, this boy named Kevin. But in a strange way, he can sense things hidden to sighted men. He's got red hair, so I'm thinking he's probably related to Matt Murdock somehow at this point. For a long, painful moment, he stands rooted beneath the cavern entrance. And very slowly, he whistles. So they find themselves in, in an underground chamber of some sort. And there's uh, these piles of rock, like cairns, that are just kind of piled up. And there's a giant iguana kind of iguana-looking creature in the foreground. Very reminiscent of some of uh, the Kirby stuff in, in Thor comics where you have this, you know, the, in the background, the people are riding their horses in the foreground. You have this weird bird or, or lizard or something like that. Uh, they have that here. Um, in the background, there's a, like, large lake, and there is a, a gold bat because it looks like a gold bat, the, the Pokemon, uh, and it is kind of fluttering above this dude, who has an oar in his hand, and he looks like, um, I suppose he's supposed to be Sharon the Ferryman or something. Um, and there's a, a boat, a small boat behind. In the middle of the lake, there is a bubbling, boiling green blob, which is where this green smoke is coming from. And then sitting atop one of these uh, little cairns is a guy wearing a green toga. Uh, it's more Roman-looking than Greek, or maybe it's more the skimpy... Greek athletic sort of toga and um, he's got laced up sandals sorts of things and he's playing a liar so what character do we know from Greek mythology that plays a liar and lives underground hmm well, I guess we're going to find out so the uh, guy in the green speaks says welcome strangers welcome to the shores of hell hello to you stranger says Hercules I see the river Styx remains unchanged from the time of my last sojourn to this place. I didn't know that the river Styx was actually underneath Paris, but apparently it is. Then a three-headed dog guarded the portal to hell. Now it seems old Charon waits alone with only a minstrel to wait beside him. Verily, tis a... And he, he hesitates because he's uh, distracted. Snows of Olympus, he says. And the uh, guy with the lyre says, As you can see, stranger... Sharon and I are not alone after all. And this shadowy creature kind of jumps out. And the shadowy creature is uh, um, he's kind of like a demon dog kind of thing. And I'll tell you right now, he looks for all the world like one of Gord the God Butcher's servants. I mean, that's the first thing I thought when I saw him. It, it, it is one of Gore the God Butcher's servants. <laughs> so maybe they got the design from this. I don't know. Anyway, it, it's sort of this dragon dog thing and it's shadowy and it jumps out and it's attacking Hercules. Uh, Kevin manages to kind of duck away so he doesn't get struck by it. And we see that in the um, 
in the background, he's actually pulled out his sling and he's picked up a rock and he's, yeah. So, so I have imagined, um, I imagine he's going to be using his sling here in a moment. Hercules throws the, uh, the demon dog thing over, over his uh, shoulder by doing this sort of Captain Kirk move, uh, using his legs to flip it over with a thump. And Hercules says, a shadow beast, one of the pathetic creatures without a soul who served the Lord of the underworld. The uh, the guy playing the wire, who and now we see is wearing a groovy 70s headband. It says, uh, quite right, stranger. To please their master Pluto, they fight like demons possessed. No man has ever defeated this one. Will you be the first, my friend? And Hercules' answer is silent but poignant. He attacks and he lunges forward. Kevin also attacks using a sling with near supernatural skill, aiming by sound alone, in vain. And the uh, the rock that, that Kevin slings just narrowly misses Hercules' head, so goes right through the shadow creature. And Hercules is trying to punish the shadow creature, but he can't hit it because it's like a shadow creature. And we see uh, Hercules' arm gets stuck in the creature. So it's like the vision or something. It solidifies and he can't move. And Hercules says, Great Zeus, my hand passed through the beast and now tis caught. And the uh, the guy with the wire says, one of the shadow beast's less appealing abilities, the power to alter the density of its form at will. It can become as solid as rock or as thin as air. And Kevin is uh, kind of turned towards the guy and he says, You, you know so much about this, this creature. Can't you help us? Help you? My dear boy, what on earth for? And we see that Hercules, you know, because the creature actually has his arm caught, He's banging his arm up against the rocks and stuff, so the, therefore the creature is getting hurt too. And then uh, Kevin goes up to, to the guy with the wire, and the dog goes up to him, and he's like jumping up on him like he wants to play. So anyway, so Kevin says, We came here to save a girl, a friend. She was captured by Cerebus to lure us here. If we don't rescue her, she'll... And uh, the guy says, Did you say a girl? And Hercules is still fighting the shadow monster, and this goes on for uh, the rest of the page at least. Unaware of Kevin's plea, Hercules battles on against overwhelming odds, unable to injure his foe, unable to even touch him. But then suddenly, the shadow beast draws back. It rises to its feet, its head cocked, listening to a weird, unearthly music. The sound comes from nowhere and everywhere at once. It's all-pervading, hypnotic. With an effort, Hercules throws off its effect. Like some human juggernaut, he leaps forward, tackling the beguiled shadow beast. And he knocks it into the uh, the water of the river. And there's a scrawl, says the creature. And it says that the, uh, yeah, the, the corrosive river sticks. So apparently the river sticks is all acidy and it hurts you if you go into it. And... We see uh, there the bubbling in the river where uh, Hercules threw the uh, the creature in, and we see the uh, the grinning face of Ares, the god of war. And it do I don't know if that means that Ares was watching them through like some sort of cosmic means, or whether this creature just turns into an Ares face in the water when it dies. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> we see uh, Hercules standing in the foreground and. We've got uh, Sharon, who's been quiet and not saying anything, off to one side, and this other dude off to the other. And then the, between Hercules' legs is Kevin and the dog, and that didn't 
mean what it sounded like. Anyway, um, <laughs> and Kevin says, man, from the sound of it, that fight was just unreal. When I hooked up with you, Herc, I knew I'd be in for adventure, but this makes Steppenwolf look like Peter Pan. Now, that's a, uh, that's a reference that I, I don't know that most readers would actually get. Anyway, guess we owe our friends some thanks, huh? And it turns out that this music came from, came from this guy wearing the green headband. And uh, Hercules says, indeed we do. And um, the, the guy with the headband says, "'Twas my pleasure, Hercules. My music seems to soothe these savage beasts. It was a small thing to do. Not so small. It saved my life, friend. What is your name? says Hercules. Orpheus. I wonder, may I join you on your quest? So, yeah, so it is somebody we've heard of. Somebody with a lyre who lives underground. If you wish, says Hercules, your aid may prove most useful. Come, Charon, here is your obelus. Take us to Tartarus. And Hercules throws uh, Charon a, a coin and the three of them hop on to, well, three of them, including the dog, hop on to the, um, uh, the boat, and they are taken off to Hades. And we get a little bit of um, a caption here. Up the quiet waters of the Styx moves Charon's ferry. Its sail filled, though there is no breeze. And as the ship navigates the river's nine loops, a brooding Hercules studies the man named Orpheus. Pondering the youth's identity. Well, is Orpheus. He just told him so. Elsewhere, deep within the night-enshrouded underworld, a tall figure moves briskly through the darkness. His destination? A castle set on ash-strewn hilltop. The palace of Tartarus' lord Pluto, whom men call Hades. Well, that's because the Greeks call him Hades, and the Romans call him Pluto. And uh, it turns out that Cerebus, and he is carrying uh, Jennifer over his shoulder, and there are a bunch of ghostly ghosts sort of kind of wisping around, and looks like there's some tortured souls on Catherine wheels, look like they're uh, on fire, like marshmallows, and there's a, a hooded figure carrying, carrying the Catherine wheel, and there's like a werewolf like next to him, got a werewolf-looking thing. And they uh, reach the castle gate, and there's a couple of guards there, and they're dressed in typical Greek, ancient Greek looking armor. Hold, stranger, straight thy business in this place, or be gone. I have no business with you, Whitling. My words are for your lord. Nay, none may pass without permission. So Cerebus doesn't like that, and he punches the guard with one punch, knocks him down with a whom. This is my permission, dolt. Now stand aside. And Cerebus enters the castle, and we see he is being watched by another Golbat, and also by a couple of people on a balcony as he, as he comes in. Grumbling, the tall man strides through the open portal and beyond. On his shoulder, his captive moans and begins to stir with returning awareness. But the tall man pays her no mind, and he uh, brings her to the feet of Pluto. Um, at least I'm assuming that's Pluto. And uh, dro kind of drops her there, and we see Pluto and a woman who we're gonna. I guess we're gonna find out who who it is. And Pluto says, "So, Cerebus, you have rejoined us. I must say we're pleased, my wife and I. Aye, we've missed you, dear friend. But pray, who is this female?" And Jennifer starts to wake up a little bit, and 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 the woman's saying. 
And why have you... Oh, look, my love, the mortal awakes. And quite a lovely mortal she is indeed. And Jennifer wakes up. What? Where? Those people! Tell me what's going on, or so help me, I swear I'll scream. Jennifer Monroe, this place is called by many names, but the most common, perhaps, is hell, says Cerebus. Yonder stands my lord Pluto and my lady Persephone. Here we shall remain, Jennifer Monroe, until Hercules comes to fill my trap. Or until the very end of time, says Pluto. And we then shift scenes back to the surface, and we see Paris, most of which is in ruins, except for the Eiffel Tower, which is still standing. And the caption says, True to her word, Jennifer screams, and the cry reaches deep into the heart of the man-demon Cerebus. For us, however, there are other though no less important concerns, we must divert our attention to the land of the living, specifically to war-torn Paris, where two weary survivors of World War III stagger through the rubble, and it's this guy Dave and the old man Simon. I'm beginning to think it's hopeless, Simon, since last night we haven't seen hide nor hair of any David behind us. Behind us? And there are these uh, weird soldier creatures, and they're riding these flying horse dragon demon things we have looks like man bat here and a couple of other very batman looking bats in the background and they're um they're saying david rig and simon st charles you are wanted by Ares." and uh, then we see the Ares is also there and he says and what i want i soon possess and yeah so they're being attacked by uh, the soldier creatures and the bats as well and the caption says paralyzed with terror the two men can but stand and stare as Ares and his demon horde descend for what purpose we may only guess and wait till another time to know meanwhile in that elsewhere which we've come to know as the underworld a tired quartet moves onward through the eternal night ever deeper into the infernal regions. And we see that, uh, yeah, Hercules and Kevin and the dog and uh, Orpheus are all wandering down. Hercules and Orpheus are talking here. Orpheus, we have traveled many miles together, yet still you are a stranger to me. I sense a great sorrow within you, an anguish, a torment. Will you speak of this with me? My friend is <laughs> doing a different sort of William Shatner thing. Will you... Speak of this with me, my friend. Yeah. Yes, says Orpheus. Yes, I'll tell you my story, Hercules, for it's clear to me you're a kind god unlike others I've known. My father was Apollo, and from him I inherited my talent with the lyre. In the summer of my nineteenth year I married. My bride was the fair Eurydice, and upon that day I felt my life fulfilled. Our love was perfect, Hercules, or nearly so, we passed each waking hour together, and dreamed our love would last forever. But as I soon learned, it was only a dream. A dream which ended when Eurydice died from the bite of a serpent, less than a year from the day we were wed. You must understand, Hercules, I was young, and the young see no pattern in the world in the turning of seasons, and the transition of life to death. My grief and my rage were one. I swore I would enter the underworld, that I would find the castle of Pluto and Persephone, and from them demand the return of the woman I love. 
Thus I did, descending into the earth, coming at last to hell. My music lulled the demons who stood in my path, and it shows him going into hell. It's kind of illustrating the whole story as he goes, and these demons look very stereotypical red demon with, with horns and pitchforks. <laughs> anyway, uh, and there's the giant snake, so cool. And after days of travel through these dark lands, I came to Pluto's castle. Here, too, my music worked its calming magic. Touched by my song, Pluto released my bride. With only one small condition. And Kevin's like, What condition, Orpheus? Only this. On our journey to the surface, I was not to look back on Eurydice. Such a small condition. But you see, I was impatient and afraid. How could I be sure Eurydice was with me? It might be a trick, a jest. And so at the last moment, as we reached the light, I glanced back. She was there, smiling, and then she cried out, and in an instant she was gone. And he's sitting there crying on the ground with Kevin and, and Hercules, all that there. And the caption says, Compassion compels us to leave the grief-stricken Orpheus and to travel through time and space to a moment some hours later at the castle of Hades. Now they keep, they're calling Hades and Pluto interchangeably at this point. I've told you more than I've told any woman, Jennifer Monroe. Perhaps now you understand why I brought you here, and why you must obey Ares. It was Ares who saved me from Pluto. Without his aid, I would be a homeless spirit without body, without destiny. And Jennifer's like, I do understand, Cerebus. You were betrayed in love, slain by the woman you hoped to marry. As they're talking in, in the castle, a giant tree trunk comes smashing through the window with a crash. And Cerebus is like, Jennifer, get down! And it turns out to be Hercules putting his friends in danger. And he is uh, picking up, it looks like they're dead trees, so I guess he's not a tree murderer. And he's uh, throwing these tree trunks through the window. <laughs> and um, Cerebus comes running out of the castle, and Hercules is like, Cerebus, will you release Jennifer Monroe, or must we battle? Fool, says Cerebus, you already know the answer. Aye. If tis battle you crave, then by Hermes battle it shall be. And he hurls the tree trunk right into uh, Cerebus's crotch. Ow. Ow. Very ow. Yeah. All of a sudden they're stopped by Pluto. And Pluto comes and says, Hold. I promised Ares my cooperation, but not my home for use as a battleground. If you must fight, then fight. But move away from my castle. And so they move away, and Cerberus is saying, Very well, Lord Pluto, we shall fight out here. And the guards are standing there as well, and they're kind of just kind of watching what's going on. And for the next panel, we see uh, the two of them fighting, and uh, Cerberus leaps at Hercules, but gets punched in the gut. Hercules does a sort of throw. Um, sticking him in kind of in the fork of a tree and he's trying to pull the tree together to trap him which seems not like a smart idea because you know the trees are all splintered and shit anyway but anyway so that's what they're doing and we get some captions as well and fight they do in a way not seen upon the surface of the earth in more than 2,000 years except in a superhero comic man gods both they possess a power unknown to mortal men a strength unparalleled by the greatest of human heroes. They grunt, they sweat, and they curse and cry out with pain and laughter. 
Their bodies heave in the thick eternal fog. Doesn't look very foggy, I have to say. Well, these are gods, these two, and gods battled with a will denied to living men. And so Hercules finally wedges uh, Cerebus in the fork of this tree thing, and then he picks it up and he throws it. And the, the tree smashes and and Cerebus gets up and comes forward towards Hercules again. And they're doing some sort of wrestling type things. Um, we got the captions again. A will to triumph despite all odds. And no matter what the cost to claim the victory. And Cerebus says, You're good, Olympian. But as you can see, the battle isn't over. And by the power Ares gave me, Cerebus still will win. Ares, why do you slave for him, Nubian? Because Ares is my master, and he has sworn that you must die. And Ares gets uh, gets Hercules in a headlock, and he looks like he's trying to smash his head. And um, the two of them are just right, like literally right outside the castle fighting. <laughs> um, we, we cut to Orpheus and Jennifer and Pluto and Persephone, and they're having a conversation. And Jennifer's like, this is horrible, insane. Why doesn't somebody stop them? Stop them, my dear girl. Why, says Persephone. Master Pluto, says Orpheus. Mistress Persephone, by your leave, gracious lord and lady, may I speak? And while they're doing this, uh, they're still fighting out there, and Kevin is, is going, go, her, go. You know me of old. I am Orpheus, who came to save Eurydice. Today I come on a mission somewhat similar, to beg the life of Jennifer Monroe. Speak on, poet. We will hear your song, I think, says Pluto. And uh, so they, they're talking, and we shift back to Hercules and the Cerebus fighting. And as the golden-tongued Athenian weaves a web of words, a raging battle nears its end. Though there is a final pause, and it looks like Hercules is about to win, and he's going to crush uh, Cerebus. And he says, Will you surrender, Nubian? Never, Hercules, but I have my honor, and my honor is pledged to Ares. And Hercules hits the wall and breaks a bunch of it out, and, and there's a giant sound effect, crom! So no Conan reference there. It hits the wall, and there, it's like starting to collapse. And um, Hercules is like, the wall, by Zeus, I did not mean, and it's sort of actually exactly what he meant to do. Uh, but I'm guessing he had to say that because of the Comics Code Authority. Um, so the uh, wall topples down with a k -k -k crash and falls on top of Cerebus, uh, burying him uh, very obviously alive in the rubble. And uh, yeah, he, he can't move because he's trapped. And um, Jennifer comes running up and he goes, Cerebus, no, no. She brought you to this, the woman who betrayed you. She's the one who killed you, Cerebus. No, Jennifer Monroe. This death is mine alone. T'was my hate which caused my pledge to Ares. My hate, my need for vengeance. And now the vengeance is fulfilled. The one who betrayed me, at last, lies dead. And we are led to believe that Cerebus dies at that point. And, and because Jennifer likes to speak the obvious, kind of like our friend Thor, himself... He meant himself. And Pluto says, Of course, those who hate always turn that hatred upon themselves in the end. You may take the girl, Hercules. She is no use to us here. Kevin says to Orpheus, Well, Orph, looks like we can all go home now, huh? 
Home? What is home, Kevin? The place where one lives or the abode of those one loves, says Orpheus. Huh? I'm afraid I haven't been honest, Kevin. I let you believe I was one of you, alive. But you see, my friend, that was a lie. And uh, he starts turning into a ghost and turning in back into the green mist. And Dog is going, grr, Ralph. And Kevin's like, but the story you told us. It happened long ago, Kevin, and it did have a happy ending of sorts. And he dissolves, and yeah. And the caption says, Abruptly, a young poet is gone, and in the Stygian darkness there's gentle laughter. The laughter of Orpheus and his bride Eurydice, united again in death as they were in life. And we get a, a glimpse here of, of Cerebus's corpse covered in rocks. And... Uh, and Jennifer's like, Cerebus, he's really gone now, isn't he? Aye, he's been released to join the other spirits, says Hercules, to rest at last in peace. And we have a uh, a closing shot here of them leaving hell or getting you're going away from Pluto's castle. And uh, we see the green uh, laughing face of Orpheus in the background. And we have the next issue blurb. Next issue... The Hunter. And that is Hercules Unbound number three. All right. So uh, before we go into what we think about it, I'm just going to look really quickly at the ads. Most of the ads are pretty similar to what we've had already. But uh, you know you know how I do like the ads. And uh, we're going to see uh, what we have here. So what do we have? Well, we actually have Think Big monogram models. Yeah, they, they were doing these large scale cars for a while. Uh, that that uh, were, um, yeah, big deal. So we have the Big T and 65 Corvette Stingray. Uh, the Big T is like this hot rod, like it's like a Model A car that, that's become a hot rod. And, um, and then we have, hey girls, wouldn't you love to be like Dusty or Sky? The 11 and a half inch fashion dolls that do fun things. Both are knockouts in their trendsetter fashions. And so we have Dusty, who's a sort of blonde, not really Barbie-like. It's more like a normal-looking, normal-looking blonde girl. And then Sky, who is her African-American companion, and it shows them doing fun things like riding Nugget, their movable, groomable Palomino. And there's a gymnastics set where I guess they can bounce on a trampoline, and they can play tennis, whack, as it says. Yeah, so fun. So you can be Dusty or Sky, or be like them, made of plastic. Uh, we have Shazam and the Cupcake Caper. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we have Shazam, or Captain Marvel, saving uh, Hostess Cupcakes for all the little kids. We've got Big Jim's Pack again with Jack Kirby art. Yep, because he did that kind of thing. Uh, we've got, uh, again, Slim Jims and the metal plates. we got, uh, ooh, an ad for Click Clacks. Yeah, they, I remember Click Clacks had gotten banned uh, a couple years before this because they, they tended to splinter and little bits of plastic fly off and get in people's eyes and shit. Um, yeah, so they're selling them here in this comic. X-ray specs, of course. Uh, you can get a U.S. coin-filled barrel. Actually, I think it's... Uh, not, you don't get the whole barrel. You just get like a scoop out of the barrel, I guess. Is, that's what it is. Grit, of course. You can sell a newspaper that nobody wants, nobody cares about. But yet, yet somehow still exists. 
Uh, we have the large eight-inch tall Mego characters. I remember those. That they, they have a whole page advertising those. Looks like the artist by Joe Kubert, because of course he was doing that kind of thing too. Um, so um, yeah, you can get uh, Superman, Catwoman, Aquaman. Robin, Green Arrow, Batgirl, Wonder Woman, Shazam, Mr. Mixius Bitlick, the Riddler, the Penguin, the Joker, and they have a Batcopter, Batmobile with the Batboat, and they have um, a uh, Bat Cycle that you can put your Batman and Robin figures on. It's the right scale. Uh, we have the uh, Snap Together models. Ravel, I think we talked about that in the past. And then on the back cover, of course, we have the Further Adventures of Evil Knievel and his uh, his chopper and his trail bike and yeah, so all that stuff, all the Evil Knievel stuff that uh, you know you can send him out into the desert or into the Arctic and uh, you know do things that he never actually did in real life. <laughs> all right, so I uh, guess we're going to talk about what we thought about this issue, but we're going to do so right after this message. Do you have unexplained mood swings? Do you have difficulty communicating with others? Do you exert a fishy odor? Do you experience undue aversion to flames or revulsion of bonfires? Have you suffered from long periods of amnesia or unexplained blackouts? Do you like to toot your own horn, speak of yourself in Shakespearean tones, or sound like Dean Warmer in Animal House? Are you a sociopath? Have you senselessly slaughtered innocent undersea creatures? Is your family tired of every vacation having to be to the beach or on a cruise ship? Do you have a secret collection of green fish scale speedos? Then you may identify with the subject of our new podcast, Imperious Rex, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. Atlantis is the Prince of the Deep. Join us each week as we review the next installment from Prince Namor, The True Submariner's Adventures in Tales to Astonish, starting with the quest in issue 70 and moving forward through the Silver Age of Marvel Comics. Check out our blog at serialsurfaceinvaders.tumblr.com for a new show every two weeks or so and a steady stream of ridiculous aquatic content. And please, if any five or more of the above conditions apply to you, Seek professional help. And we're back. And of course, the 13th episode of Imperious Rex just came out last week, so you should go and listen to it because they are good. All right. So, uh, yeah. So what do we think about this issue? Once again, there's a lot of very silly things that are happening in this issue. There's a lot of very strange coincidences going on. And the, the scale of this world is just kind of unbelievably small. And I don't know if this is just short-sightedness on the part of, of Jerry Conway or whether, you know, the, the artwork has something to do with it. I, I don't know. Um, I like all the bats. I mean, they actually do look like the Zubat Pokemon. <laughs> um, it's interesting, interesting for once that we have Pluto in this issue, but he's not being portrayed as a bad guy per se. That's something that's different from a lot of stuff. I mean, we, we've seen Pluto as a villain at Marvel before. We've seen Pluto as a villain in DC before. Here he's just kind of there. He's just kind of this benign character uh, who is neither good nor evil. He's just kind of there. And for some reason, uh, Ares has 
you know, Cerebus take Jennifer to him. Now, he seems like he's very mild and, and very accommodating. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you, know, you, you can just go now. You know, it's, it seems like they get away from him really easily. The death of Cerebus is very contrived and is very silly. You, you we're led to believe that, that um, Hercules can actually accidentally take down a wall on top of Cerebus. Once again, like I said, I think this has a lot more to do with the comics code than anything else. Um, the comics code was still very much in effect in 1976. And the violence in this issue, like the, the uh, tree trunk to the crotch, is just, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty brutal stuff going on in the, in the series so far. Um, but by and large, it, you know, I have to say the, the artwork is pretty good. Uh, it's clear that uh, Garcia Lopez is just pretty much doing layouts at this point, and the, the finishes are certainly by Wally Wood. But Wally Wood is a fine, uh, fine artist in his own right. I mean, the people look pretty good. The, um, the buildings, well, not so much. We, we've got uh, you know, some, some, good, um, some good work, but the, the, the castle of Pluto really just kind of looks like, um, like a gateway. It's like, like a gateway to a college campus or something. It's just like this tall tower with no windows, maybe three stories tall, and then just kind of a wall around it. There's, there's like no castle there, and the scale was really odd. So I guess you could assume that, that Pluto and Persephone live in one room in the castle, then maybe... Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they just live in a closet or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the scale on this whole issue is just very weird. And you know, Pluto will send them outside of this very small castle, but he's still close enough to the castle that he takes down the wall, you know, at, quote unquote, accidentally. So it's not like they actually really went anywhere. I like to think that the Pluto came out to say, no, you're going to get further away. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, Weird how Jennifer is so sad about the death of Cerebus. She's actually crying here on page 17 where where Cerebus dies. And, you know, having been kidnapped by him, knowing that the guy is a bad guy, he serves serves Ares, who's the big bad in the series. Um, it, I don't know. I mean, what do, what do you make of that? I just think it's, it's kind of odd that uh, now she's... You know, mourning this 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 guy who maybe maybe it's because he gave her his sob story last issue, and so she feels sorry for him. And that, that, and given given Jerry Conway's inclinations, that's probably it. But if that's the case, then then she's really kind of shallow, and really kind of easily manipulated. Because I mean, I don't know that I'd be so quick to uh, forgive somebody who kidnapped me and took me to hell. You know. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah, so another issue of, of Hercules Unbound, and, and we'll see if this series gets any better or uh, whether it uh, kind of continues to kind of trudge along in the same vein. I'm going to give this another issue or two uh, before we move on to something else. But, uh, yeah, th keep in mind that this uh, was only a 12-issue series in total. All right, so with that, it is about time to wrap up the show, folks. Thanks again, folks, very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, uh, if you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address is RadioFreeAsgard at gmail.com. Or you can find us over on Facebook. Just look for Radio Free Asgard there, and you will find us. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard. And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free 
Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.